here's Danny with today's message. Good morning. How are you all? You all are good. Okay. Very good. Well, why don't we go ahead and begin with a word of prayer and we'll jump right into things. Father, I just ask that you would come here today. Lord, we, we pray once again that you'd give us ears to hear your voice. Lord, we invite you to speak to us as individuals and as families, as a, as a church family. Lord, I ask that you would give me grace to, to say only what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. Give me clarity of speech and, and clarity of thought, Lord. We, we just make ourselves available to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, those of you who uh, are my Facebook friends, uh, and if you're not, don't you like me? But those of you who read my Facebook, uh, one of my posts this week, that wasn't about my granddaughter, Olive, but if you read my post this week, you, you read that I, I said I, I really promise that, that this weekend sermon, today's sermon, is not going to leave any toe left unstepped on. And I, I want you to know that I, I am going to try to be faithful to that promise. Uh, you know, do, but I want to ask you, do, do I have permission to speak to you directly, frankly? It didn't matter what you said, but I just thought that, that just sort of sounded really good because this, this isn't a democracy. Uh, it's, a, it's a monarchy, and I'm not the king. Jesus is the king, and as I, as I uh, shared with the other pastors and the advisory council elders in the church, what I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart, they all concurred that that's, that's, that's the Lord, so I, I need to be faithful to, to deliver what he has uh, given me to say. So, the, you know, I, I don't often speak, we don't often speak about current events, you know, we're not trying to, to be uh, just giving a running commentary of what we think is going on in the world, but recently there was a Supreme Court decision that I, I uh, felt compels uh, us to, to address and to, to speak about, uh, and the decision dealt with, of course, how uh, the, the U.S. will deal with the issue of gay marriage. So I want to talk about that in part this morning, but more broadly, what I want to talk about this morning is how we as Christians ought to engage a culture that is increasingly out of step with what we see as the biblical truth and biblical practices. The, let, me, let me start today, and I jump right into it, let me start today by reading a statement that was released by the Association of Vineyard Churches here in the United States that addresses and, and speaks to their view on this topic of gay marriage and, and more things more broadly than that. But it also reflects our view here at Vineyard Church of Delaware County. So let me read. It's a four-point statement. We can throw that up on the board. You can follow along. But the statement reads like this. First, we must be committed to both mission and holiness. The message of the kingdom is a message of welcome. Everyone can come to the feast. Jesus himself was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. And at the same time, the message of the kingdom is repent, believe, and follow Jesus in every area of our life. 
At times, it can feel as if these two principles are mutually exclusive. But we are convinced that they're not. It is possible to offer radical, the radical welcome of Jesus while calling people to high standards of discipleship. Second, the Bible promotes, celebrates, and affirms marriage as a covenantal union between a man and a woman. Marriage is not the highest purpose of humanity. The Apostle Paul himself was single, as was Jesus. At the same time, it must be honored as a sign and gift from God. Third, we believe that all humans are to be treated with kindness, compassion, as, image, as the image bearers of God on earth. We are all sinful, and it is profoundly unbiblical to pick out one sin that is stigmatized above others. In the history of the church, homosexual persons experienced such sinful stigmatization. We repent and renounce this sort of sinful treatment. Fourth, we believe that outside the boundaries of marriage, the Bible calls for abstinence. We know that in our culture, premarital sex, along with many other forms of non-marital sex, have become normative. We want to lovingly help people of any sexual orientation live up to this standard. We recognize that it can be a difficult journey and there must be uh, grace along the way. The powerful, beautiful gift of human sexuality must be stewarded with seriousness and compassion within our movement and within our church. Now, on many issues, many issues, it's, we've seen Christians, reasonable Christians, disagree with one another. But what I want us to understand as we, as we begin here, that on this issue of, of homosexual marriage, for 2,000 years, until relatively recently, there has not been disagreement, by and large, within the church. That's something more recent where we see even some, some uh, disagreement. And I understand also that likely there are those here today who disagree perhaps strongly with this statement, with our stand. And I want you to understand that you are welcome to disagree and you are welcome to be part of the Vineyard uh, Church family here and disagree. I just want you to understand that that is the view of this church. That's what we believe and that's how we, how we function. I want you to also understand this, that for me personally, this view is an uncomfortable one to take in today's society. And personally, I would prefer in most areas, including this one, I'd prefer to be in step with the culture. I mean, I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me. But more than that, as a Christian and as a pastor, I am trying desperately to be a, a God pleaser. And I want him to be pleased with what I do and with what I say, with how I act. Now, if God had asked me, if he said, Danny, do you want to be out of step with the culture 
and be viewed as judgmental, unkind, homophobic, old-fashioned on this topic, my answer would clearly have been, Lord, you're asking me? No, no, make, make it comfortable and make everybody love me. But God never asked me my opinion. And as a Christian, I recognize that he is God, he's my creator, and my knee has to bend to him as opposed to expecting that he would bend to my desires or my comfort or bend to the culture that I happen to be living in. And see, that's the difference between being a disciple of Christ, one who, who is following Christ with the inner desire to be conformed more and more and more to his image, that's what a disciple is. That's the difference between being a disciple and just being a church attender, where we see church as just a place that we can go on Sunday mornings or those weird people on Saturday nights and, and gather together and sing some songs and, and just have it more as a club. And this church, we welcome those who just want to be attenders. But we're designed to be for disciples. Jesus created church, this church, the entire universal church, not just for people who, who want to attend some meeting. He designed the church for people who want to be disciples, who want to be conformed to his image, who want to, throughout their lifetime, be molded and shaped to be more like Christ. So how should we as Christians relate and function in a society that is marching to a very different drum than we are? What do the scriptures say about how we are to engage culture? Well, there are some verses that come to mind immediately. The scriptures say that we're to be in the world, but not of it. We are to be present. We're not to separate ourselves, isolate ourselves from the culture, from the world, from the community. But at the same time, we're not to be conformed to the world. The scriptures say that we're to be salt and light in the world. And salt, in the first century, the concept was that salt is something that preserves something. It's preservative. And in that sense, it's appropriate that the church can does whatever it's able to do to influence culture, to preserve the, the intentions and the heart and the purposes of God in our culture to the degree that we're able. We do this with our words. We do this by example. It's, it's appropriate to be politically involved and politically active, to speak what we believe and what we see God teaching. And we're also called not just to be salt as a, and a preservative, but we're called to be light. Now, light illumines. It allows one to clearly see something. 
And as light in the world, we're here to help the world see Jesus. We're here to individually, together, bring light so that Christ can be seen. So that who he is, his heart, his compassion, his mercy, his sense of justice, his holiness can be clearly seen. So we're, we're to preserve, but we're also to shine so that Jesus can be seen. As I said, I would have loved for Jesus to ask me, what do you want me to do on this topic? He didn't. And the bottom line is that I don't, we don't get to pick and choose what teachings and what truths make us comfortable. That's the difference between church attenders and disciples. Now, living in the world, but not being of the world, is not easy. But we can look at Jesus, and we could look at the disciples... And what the scriptures reveal about how the the early Christians lived and have an example, both from Jesus and the disciples, the apostles, to see what does it look like as those who are followers of God, those who have surrendered their lives to God, those who are wanting to be conformed into his image, how they engage and how they interact with the world. And if we're going to be serious about living like Jesus, if we're serious about wanting to be biblical people, not just in areas that that suit us, but truly saying, Jesus, this is a standard. This is your revelation. And I don't get to pick and choose. If we're serious about that, then we need to recognize something. And that is this, that 99.9% of what Jesus and the apostles did and what the apostles and Jesus said focused on transforming individuals and not transforming culture. Most everything that is recorded as we look at Jesus' words and Jesus' actions The apostles' words and the apostles' actions were focused on the transformation of individuals and not the transformation of society, not the transformation of culture. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. When Jesus came to earth, he came on a rescue mission. He came because he saw you, he saw me, he saw a world who were estranged from him, who had gone off their own way, and his love burned for us, and it burns for the world, and that is why he came, to gather those who are lost. Now, we need to realize that in the first century, the culture that the apostles lived, the the culture that Jesus came and lived, was just as corrupt, just as decadent, just as as cruel and, and full of hatred towards God's people, just as 
contrary to God's purposes as the 21st century. Israel was under the thumb of Rome. It was an occupied, conquered nation. Israel was occupied by Romans. There were Roman soldiers on every street corner. Those that governed Israel governed under the Roman uh, ultimate authority, needing the, the Romans' permission to do what they did and, and were told what not to do as well. Those who were, who were emperors of Rome during Jesus' time in the first century were unbelievably hostile to God's people, to the community of faith, both Jew and this new sect called Christianity. During the apostles' time, the, the, the emperor would take Christians nail them to a cross, put them in his gardens, and light them on fire at night to illumine his gardens. We think that we're living in a time of, of persecution. We don't know what persecution is compared to what they are experiencing. So the fact that most all of what Jesus said and did was about and focused on the transformation of individuals and not culture, didn't mean we shouldn't imply, well, the culture wasn't that bad. To the contrary, it reveals the focus of Christ and the gospel. So how did Jesus and the disciples conduct themselves in such a culture? Well, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, when he hung there on the cross, what did he do? He looked down, he saw the centurions, and he said, this isn't fair. It was a trumped-up charge. I don't deserve this. It was a kangaroo court. You have no authority in my life. Now, Jesus looked down, and what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When, when Paul was, was imprisoned in, he, he, by the Romans for preaching the gospel unjustly, and he wrote the letter to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi, what did he say? He said, guys, I want you to, to start a letter-writing campaign. Get out there. Get some picket signs out in front of this jail. Let them know they have no authority to put me in jail. This is wrong. Don't let them crush you and step on you. Stand up for your Christian rights. No. What he said to the Philippians was, I rejoice, and you should rejoice, because I got an opportunity to demonstrate my faith to the guards here in the prison. We don't see Jesus or the apostles trying to transform corrupt society they live in, we see Jesus continually, we see the apostles continually wanting to see transformation in individual hearts. They were disciples. You know, we, we whine because the persecution we experience, because we can't get a, a, we can't even get a, a nativity scene on the town square. 
persecution. And, and do you see how, how Hollywood portrays Christians? It's so wrong. It's, Hollywood just hates us, and it's not right. You know, as Christians, we need to get a backbone. You know, sometimes as Christians, we, we whine, we relate like, you know, like a, a second grader, you know. Johnny just looked at me funny. I don't like Johnny looking at me like that. Jesus would say, well, stop looking at Johnny. <laughs> Jesus said, in me there is peace. In me there is peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Johnny's going to look at you funny. But in me, that's where you find peace. And we need to ask ourselves, have we become so focused on trying to fix the world that we've neglected focusing on, on Christ and His purposes and his desire to transform us. And through our words and example, one soul after another is compelled to see Christ as real and worthy to be followed. Virtually all the focus of Jesus and the disciples was on personal transformation of God's people and the community of faith. Now, Jesus did have strong words. I mean, he called some brood of vipers. He called some whitewashed tombs. He went in and flipped tables over at times. It's not as if he was silent and didn't say anything. But I want you to realize, and I encourage you, if you, if you find my, what I'm saying is untrue, then come and write me a letter. Give me a call. But show me in Scripture where it's not true. Jesus, his harsh words were towards the community of faith and not society around him. He spoke to the Pharisees about being a brood of vipers. The religious leaders were the whitewashed tombs. It was those worshipers in the temple who he challenged and flipped their, their tables upside down. What did Jesus say? What did the disciples say to, to the Romans, to the sinners, to the outsiders of the community of faith? What, what, did, what did they say to the world? Very, very little. They never fudged on what truth was, but that was not their focus. Now, some, some of you are sitting here saying, okay, preach it, Danny. I always kept on trying to tell everybody, don't judge others. But that's not what I'm saying either. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 9. Go ahead and put that, that verse up. Paul said this to the church. He said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters, 
for then you would have to go out of the world. You have to separate yourself from the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even eat with such a one. And I, and I might add, in the, in the Greek, when he's mentioning those things, it's not just, oh, they coveted, get, get rid of them out of the church. It's those who have given themselves as an ongoing, continual lifestyle with no repentance in those areas. Verse 12, listen to what he says. For what have I do with judging outsiders? What have I do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are, who are within the church? But with those outsiders, God judges. But remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Paul makes it clear that we do judge. He's not saying we be, we're judgmental. He's not saying you know, gossip and slander and, and be mean to. But the church is called to speak to one another, to challenge one another, and to call one another to this high calling of being a disciple, being one that is in a continual way conformed to the image of God. And when our brother or our sister goes off the track, we come alongside, we appeal to them, we point them to Jesus put her arm around their shoulder, give an opportunity for them to turn around with grace and with mercy. But we challenge one another within the church. That's the compelling word of the scripture and the example of Jesus and the disciples. Jesus had the, the woman caught in adultery brought before him. You know, the Pharisees said, Jesus, the scriptures say that a person committing adultery should be stoned. What do you say? They're trying to trap him. Jesus' response was, well, let's talk about you guys. Whichever one of you who never sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. He confronted vigorously, directly, confronted those of the faith community, the Pharisees. Now, he didn't fudge with the woman. He turned to her and said, now go and sin no more. But his intent was, I want the Pharisees to see the, the hypocrisy in their attitudes. That was his focus. Another time when the Pharisees came, and said, Jesus, should, should we pay taxes to this corrupt government of Rome? They thought they had him. Jesus said, give me a coin. He said, Who, whose image is on the coin? They said, it's Caesar. And Jesus said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But what did he say next? Give to God what belongs to God. I mean, he, his emphasis, once again, was, listen, I'm not going to get into trying to fix Rome to transform society. 
I'm not going to fool around with what truth is, but I am going to speak to God's people who are saying that they are followers of God. And to them I say, give to God what belongs to God. And what is it that belongs to God? We do. The compelling message of the Scriptures is that we need to be concerned about how God is changing us day by day by day. We need to be concerned about how our brothers and sisters are doing so that when they stumble, when we stumble, there's grace, there's mercy, we come alongside, we get back up, and we begin again, turn around, and move towards Christ. That's the focus of the Scriptures. But unlike the example of Jesus and the apostles, it seems like oftentimes 90% of our focus is on the world and trying to change the world and wag our finger at the world. 9% is trying to wag our finger at other churches. And maybe 1% is reflection. Oh, Jesus, change me. Jesus, search me. Know my heart. Show me if there's any hurtful way, as David said in the Psalms. And folks, th this isn't my good idea, my, my, my bent. This is the Scripture. Show me where I'm wrong. It may be that we've become like the Pharisees, that we're the hypocrites, that we're more concerned with the speck in everyone else's eye, and there are specks. But we're more concerned about that than the log in our own eye. We're guilty like the Pharisees of ranking sin. You know, homosexuality, that's sin. We're going to speak up. We're going to take a stand. And we should. So we should. We, we need to, to hold to what the Scriptures say. But now let's talk about some other sins in the Bible. You know, let's talk about materialism. Well, we, we begin to rank it. And, and materialism, well, after all, yeah, there are materialists. And a materialist is anyone who loves stuff more than me. So we rank sin, we excuse sin, we pick and choose which scriptures will apply to our lives and to the church and which ones we'll ignore. The Bible is just as clear, the scriptures are just as clear, Jesus was just as clear about the issue of divorce as it is about homosexuality. It says that God hates divorce. And there are only a few biblical grounds where Jesus, where the scriptures allow for divorce. But somehow, because most of us either know someone, have a friend, have a family member, or we ourselves divorced, and maybe we divorce with no big biblical grounds, 
Maybe we didn't even know they were biblical or what those biblical grounds were. Well, we're not going to look at that. We'll, we'll look at another sin because it, it doesn't affect us in the same way. The scriptures have a lot to say about our speech. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Well, come on, you know, you've got to fit in a little bit with the guys. Don't want to look too weird. The scriptures talk clearly about not forsaking the gathering together with God's people. That if you are a follower of, of God, if you are a follower of Christ, well then part of what God's people do is they gather together consistently and regularly for worship, for, for Bible study, so that we can exercise our gifts, so that we can serve, that we, so that we can be and bring our part of who God created us to be to the body. Nowadays, if, if, if people attend church two or three times a month, I mean, they're committed people. Woo! I mean, if they come to church four times a month, you know, I mean, call out the deprogrammers, you know. I mean, we need to worry that they're, you know, that they're kind of a, a fanatic and there's something dangerously wrong with them. They go to a small group and go to church regularly. You know, well, that, that, that's not where, where I'm at. But the scriptures are just as clear and call us just as firmly to gather together, to come together to be who Christ has called us to be with one another, for one another, for the purposes of Christ, as is, it's clear on homosexuality. So how did Jesus and the apostles live their lives in the midst of a broken world? They lived their lives by trying to remove obstacles that would prevent people coming to Christ. And by doing that without compromising truth. See, the understanding was that there should be only one stumbling block to coming before God. Just one stumbling stone. And the stumbling stone's name is Jesus. That our behavior, our attitudes, our words, our rhetoric should never become a stumbling block for another to come and draw near to Christ. Let them stumble over Jesus, but only Jesus. And Paul confronted, Paul confronted the, the uh, religious leaders. He even confronted other apostles who began to ask individuals to begin to obey this law, to, to change this part of their life in order to come near to Jesus. To expect that the outside community, that those outside the community of faith should obey God's law, Paul said, absolutely not. It's them drawing near to God and then God working from the inside out. It's them coming close to God and then the Holy Spirit being at work to transform them. That's how transformation comes. It's like the, the old saying, you, you, 
you don't clean the fish before you catch them. But yet somehow we expect those in the world who are coming and drawing near to God to fix themselves up, to begin to behave as though the Spirit of God had already transformed them. Why would we expect the world to be like Jesus without the Spirit of Jesus? I mean, heck, we have a hard enough time trying to be like Jesus with the Spirit of God in us. I, I thank the Lord that the individual who, who led me to Christ, a, a guy named Meredith, was, was wise enough not to, to begin to lay out behaviors before me that needed to change as I was beginning to turn towards Jesus. I was, a, I was an absolute mess. But what Meredith, Meredith did is he, he became a living invitation. He walked me before Christ. And I knew that I loved him. And I, I became under, uh, fully aware of God's love for me. And then slowly... God began to transform my life. And I thank God that Meredith allowed Christ to transform me. That he wasn't trying to transform me in order to be acceptable. But that happened over time. And when I stumbled and when I fell, Meredith would come alongside and say, Brother, that's not what Christ has called you for. He has a high calling for your life, and that's inconsistent with that high calling. And he'd walk me into the presence of God. We may well have become just like the hypocrites and the Pharisees. You know, some shake their finger at those in our culture who, who just live off government handouts. And it's wrong to take without contributing. But how many of those same people are willing to come to church, enjoy air conditioning and heat and soft chairs and coffee and, and Sunday school and Bible studies and youth camps and children's events and w without giving any thought to contributing? Where, where single mothers can be giving more than CEOs. Where, where poor are giving more than those who are prospering. But let's not talk about that. But that's the same sort of hypocrisy that Jesus talked about more firmly. Certainly just as firmly as he talked about issues like homosexuality. So it's not to say that we don't speak about this because we're not speaking about that. It's that we have enough integrity to say whatever Jesus said, whatever the apostles' teachings say, we're disciples. We're not just church attenders who pick and choose what we like. We're disciples who say, Jesus, come and conform me to your image. There, there are those who, who react when, when we as a Christian are lumped together with other Christians who we don't want to be identified with. 
You know, you're just like those, those liberal Christians, or you're just like those fundamentalists. You're just like that Hillsborough church that, that pickets military funerals. And we say, no, I'm not like them. Don't lump me together with them. I'm different. But we have no problem lumping together groups in the world. We have no problem lumping together all Muslims. We have no problem lumping together, you know, all, all Mexicans coming across the border, oh, they're, you know, the, the majority of them are just you know, rapists and they're just murderers. It's hypocritical. We pick and choose where we'll allow integrity to be applied to our life and where we won't. And our attitude and our, our speech become obstacles to the gospel. And we become an obstacle rather than, than a living invitation. Hear me, I mean, Christ and his truth preached or presented without love is heresy. Christ and his truth presented without love is heresy. It's inconsistent, it's incomplete, it's missing something. So how did it happen? How did, how, did, how did God's people sometimes slide so easily in the first century or the 21st century? How do we slide into this kind of hypocrisy? It's because we don't see the world like Jesus did. Jesus saw the world as individual souls that he loved. He so loved the world that he came and he died for them. It wasn't just the impersonal mass of humanity, but it was individuals. I, I was talking to someone this week in our church who, whose son, about two years ago, three years ago, came out of the closet and, and told his, his mom, his dad, that he is homosexual. And it, it broke their hearts. And, and one of the things that, that this, this man t said to me, he said, Danny, before... It became personal. My speech, my attitude was harsh, was hateful. The words that I would use were, were cruel when talking about homosexuals. But he said, you know, all of a sudden when it was my son, he said, I, I didn't change my view. I, I talked to my son about what the scriptures say and what I believe and what Jesus said. But my words, my rhetoric, how I approached him was an appeal. I was inviting him to turn around, to come close to Christ. As a, a loving father who, who was grieving for his son, it changed significantly, he said. Not truth, but how he approached him. Because it became personal and he saw it not as just the sin of others as someone who he desperately loved. See, we often see it as a us and a them. But Jesus became a them. And we are a them that Jesus saw and he loved as we were messing around in our sins 
and as we continually stumble in our sins. But it's personal, and he's at work in us to conform and change us. When, when Jesus saw me 45 years ago, <laughs> just some young, arrogant kid from New York, an atheist who hated God, was opposed to God, even while I was a sinner, he loved me, he pursued me, he saw me, he came after me. See, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad? He's a friend of them. And sometimes, folks, when we are wagging our finger and shaking our finger at some sinner, we need to realize we may be poking Jesus in the eye. There's a place at the table for everyone. That's the proclamation of the gospel. That's the proclamation to the world. And the church is for those who are turning from the world and turning towards Christ, who are saying, here I am, God, such as I am. I lay it all on the table. Come and change me. Come and transform me. That's the difference between a disciple and a churchgoer. Here I am. And that's what a church looks like who recognizes that we're called to make disciples. The church can and should and will speak to each other, calling us ever closer to be conformed to his image. But that takes time. So we, we want to be a, a church who, who welcomes Everyone, but we're designed to make disciples. Now, if there's a person who professes Christ, but has no intention of turning around, who's given time, who is appealed to, who is brought before the Lord, but they have no intention of, of wanting God to even transform them, well, then that's, that's something that we'll, we'll address. Because for their good... We, we don't want to help people walk down the middle of the road. I'll be a little bit in the world. I'll be a little bit in Christ. Because people who walk down the middle of the road really get hit by cars from both directions. And that's why the scriptures say, yeah, you approach people. And there are times when people are over a period of time when grace is applied, mercy is applied. It's just that they're not putting everything on the table. There's a time where you say, you know, listen, you, you want to see the world, what it's fully like, we'll give opportunity for that. But the church is not a place for that. But we're going to be a church that does recognize and makes room for everybody and anybody to allow the Spirit of God to work in them so that we can become more and more like Jesus. And we're going to look to how we can remove obstacles that we may have placed in our words or our actions between individuals who Jesus died for and his heart towards them. We're not going to compromise truth, but we'll make room for the Holy Spirit to transform people in their lives, just as he did with us.
Amen? Let's stand up. Here's what I want to do today. I mean, this has been such a feel-good sermon. I just want to carry on with that theme. You know, there are probably individuals here this morning who need to, to repent. Repent doesn't mean you beat yourself up, you, you, know, you, you hate yourself, you, you look down on yourself. Repentance is just its a wonderful, wonderful gift that God gives us. It just means to turn towards God when we recognize that we've been going in a way that's contrary to his purposes. And I believe there are individuals here who need to turn around because of words and attitudes that we recognize that we have had towards the world where we've, been, we've become more an obstacle for individuals that, than, a, than a living invitation. So those of you who realize that you haven't lived or spoken in a way that would be inviting for people to want to know this God that you're following, I believe that uh, it's appropriate for those of you who who want to take yourself in hand and are serious about being a disciple, to just come forward and say, Lord, I agree with you. That's not how I, you would have me speak. That's not how you'd have me act. Allow your grace to change my heart and change my attitudes. I believe there are those here today who have ranked sin. And, and there may specifically be individuals here today who have divorced in the past who've remarried, and perhaps with no grounds to divorce in the first place. And I believe there needs to be repentance. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm calling for you to, to divorce again. But what that does mean is that you can go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I know that, that what I did wasn't according to your purposes. I, 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 I with no grounds, biblically, I just left my husband. I left my wife. But I know now. And I acknowledge that. Come and, and cleanse my heart. Free me, Lord. Forgive me so I can continue now and, and honor you with my whole life. Some of you are convicted about an area of hypocrisy that you recognize in your life. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's how you use your time. Maybe it's how you've tolerated sin in your own life. And I want to encourage you to also experience the, the grace of repentance, the freedom to say, Lord, I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I was wrong. But I receive that forgiveness. So we're, we're going to finish up with just one song. But we're disciples, right? And we get to turn around when we hear see and understand that we've been going the wrong direction. You get to turn around, receive that forgiveness and that cleansing, and continue to pursue Jesus fully. Why don't you come forward, let's just acknowledge those things that the Lord has been saying to you with me. Just come to the front.
Father, we come before you as your people. Lord, we, we come needing the grace of repentance. We gladly take hold of the gift of repentance. Father, like David said in the Psalms, we say, search us, Lord. Know us. Search our hearts and show us if there's any hurtful and harmful way within us. Lord, we turn around from this, this desire to, through sleight of hand, keep our eye on something other than ourselves. Come and change us. Conform us to your image. Father, we want to be a people who hold to truth, who never shrink back from speaking truth. But Lord, we want to be disciples whose first concern is that we be transformed, that we walk with brothers and sisters who are continually being transformed. We'll never arrive, Lord. We're just a messed up group of people. But Lord, you are a God. You are at work in us, and we welcome your hand of mercy and grace. Lord, let us be a church let us be individual families, individuals, Lord, who walk as living invitations. Lord, help us never to walk as, a, as an obstacle by our words, by our actions. Lord, we don't want to get in the way of others being able to see who you are and fall in love with you. Jesus, help us fall in love with you more and more. You are so good and so kind and so lovely. Let that be what's portrayed through us to our culture. In Jesus' name, amen.